there's three parties involved. There's yourself as the business, there's the person doing the referring, and then there's the referral or the friend that they're sending the link to. You call up any one of these customers, no matter what the offer, if the service was sort of crappy and the product was not great, no one really wants to give that experience to a friend. Hello and welcome to the Gross Profit Podcast. My name is James Kennedy, speaking to you today from the Pie Hole TV studios. Today, I've got uh, Josh Ho meeting me from Referral Rock for a very specific reason, and that is because we are interested in our company at trying to figure out how to ask for referrals more effectively from our partners, our customers, potential partners, etc. I thought this would be interesting for you to listen into if you run a business where you're tired of backing the, the dump truck of cash into the paid search acquisition channels like we are, and you're looking to get more sales from the leads that you already have and the customers you already have. Josh is certainly an expert in this area, and I'm looking forward to trying to figure out this square, this circle. So Josh, thanks very much for coming to join us today. Where are you speaking to me from? Uh, first, uh, thanks for having me on, James. And uh, yeah, I'm in, I'm just outside of Washington, D.C. Uh, in Maryland, in the Maryland suburbs. So not too far from technically from the White House. So you're outside the blast radius in case the worst thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. 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 We're safe then. So why why should we believe anything you say about running a referral program? A, a lot of this comes from, you know, thinking of why do we trust anyone, right? So it kind of goes back to like, okay, do they have some sort of track record, right? Have they gone deeper into thinking of an area and what's their incentive? Like, obviously that that's always the, the crossover with someone that sells a product is if there seems like an incentive for them to, you know, win or make money or something like that, you kind of look at it a bit crook-eyed. So I'm fine with anyone looking at me a little crook-eyed about this because we do sell referral software. We're also a SaaS business, um, but I've been doing it for, I don't know, arguably, you know, 10 years-ish. Um, but I'm also the type of person that gives a ton of referrals. So word of mouth is in my nature. It's like everyone has that go-to person, you know, whether it's like, oh, hey, what gear, you know, what, what computer, what, what tracking watch, what, you know, all those types of things. And I'm the first one that raised my hand because I'm like, okay. So I sat down and did like eight hours of research. I've tested this product and someone's just like, just tell me which one to buy. <laughs> so um, I'm kind of always been that guy for my friends, my family, all of that type of thing happy to give a referral when I get a great experience from a service or a product. Um, so that's kind of me in a nutshell and maybe why you should trust me. Okay. So it's the same reason why people should trust us with their purchasing, I guess, because, you know, I'm a computer nerd, but we've been helping people spend billions and billions of dollars over the last 10 years. And we've got to learn a lot about us over that time. So let's frame this by, um, I, I, I guess you could just tell us a little bit of referral rock, you know, how big are you? How many customers do you have? You know, what, what, where did the idea come from the business and, and where have you seen some big successes for your customers? Sure. So, um, yeah, you know, so we, like I said, we provide referral software. I think we have, it might be about 500 or so customers that are active, but we've had, you know, well over a thousand over a lifetime. 
And referrals are one of those things or referral software, one of those things that honestly, a lot of people are interested in because for the same reasons, you have the same question of like, how can you, uh, what I'd like to say is get compound interest on the relationships you already have, right? So you talk about partners uh, for your use case, you talked about customers and paying for leads, like how could you sort of recycle that? Because if you're doing a good job as a company, you provide a great service, a great product, you're already hopefully getting some organic word of mouth, which is sort of the seed of, can I now lean into it and get get more referral by asking? So oftentimes we end up with customers that want the referrals or want the compound interest, but maybe they're not doing all the middle steps in the in between that actually gets them any word of mouth. So I don't think you asked this question exactly, but that's kind of my thesis and why, you know, certain companies do really well. So if you're ready, kind of word of mouth uh, ready, <laughs> so to speak, um, then you're going to do even better if you lean in to referrals by being, you know, a little more assertive. Like you asked about the question of, you know, how do you ask for more referrals? And that's the first step, honestly, because most people just want to sit back and let organic word of mouth happen. Um, but but you're asking good questions. Okay, so let me let me sort of give you a history about what we've, because we've kind of always, almost every sales book you read tells you first ask for referrals, you know? Um, and it's right. always like, you know, it, it is, it's always there. It makes obvious sense. But I feel like our history with this has been, we have a meeting, we decide, yeah, referrals are a great idea. That would be super. It costs us nothing. We have great customers who we love, who, who love us. You know, we have a great NPS score. And then it's like, yeah, we should really just ask for an introduction. Like, I'm happy to introduce good products that I like. Um, and mm -hmm. we say, yeah, let's do that. And then it goes off. Someone says, yeah, I'm going to ask for referrals. And then it's kind of nothing happens, you know, like it's kind of a nothing mm -hmm. burger. It's like, well, you know, right. what? so more recently, what we've decided is, well, every Wednesday, Benny, if you've worked for Procurement Express in the last year or so, you've probably met Benny. And um, he's sort of him and Richard, my business partner, are sitting down in a hotel room once a week. I would enlist the names for customers or referrals and just bringing them up and asking them. And it is, I'm going to say, working, but it feels like very awkward so what are what are we doing mm -hmm. wrong or what would you do if you were in our situation for our referral program so awkward is definitely the right word for it and and i think that's the challenge right like everyone in sales knows like in general you have to be a little assertive to drive any behavior so like i said asking is a great step like we all have been trained and know it works asking for the sale like when you're in a sale process and you being in procurement obviously know a bit about that. <laughs> um, and we've even known from a, like, you know, NPS scores and, you know, third-party reviews, like everyone knows about asking for a review. Uh, and those are very simple, easy things to do. But when it gets to asking for a referral, that word you mentioned awkward is the primary thing. And the thing about asking for referrals is it can be like Goldilocks and the three bears type of thing. So, <laughs> So, so here's like how I think about it is you have a salesperson who just says, hey, if you know anyone, send it my way, right? And that actually never really results in much because it's kind of just too cold, right? Mm -hmm. From a from a porridge perspective. But um, and then you have the more aggressive approach, which you guys have done a little bit of it. And can you give me the, you know, can you send me, give me the contact information of a friend, which sometimes burns the chance of a referral or it, it's almost like, 
someone kind of goes into their psyche and like, okay, did I just sell my friend down the river to get a cold call to have someone call him? And intro, the intro works, but oftentimes what happens is the guy goes, let me go see if it's okay with them before I refer. And it becomes this awkward exchange of many things before yeah. you actually get the nice intro email, which you want. And it still happens, right? So it depends on the relationship of the customer. Um, but the just right experience sort of ends up with like, how can you give the customer an easy way to share? How can you make that one call and basically be like, hey, we have this referral program. I know you had a great experience. Like, how can they share with a friend without all those little intricate steps going back and forth without the psychology of like, what am I sending my friend up? And ultimately it lets the friend who's interested opt in. So if they just sent them a link and said, Hey, uh, I got these guys from, you know, procurement express and, um, like here's, here's my URL. You can go check it out. I had a great experience with them or sort of, it can give with a recommendation, but that's it. They're doing that handoff. You're not in the loop. You, you aren't brought in, but it allows the customer or prospective new customer to essentially opt into it. Um, and it takes away a lot of that, that awkwardness. Okay. So this is, I'm guessing where referral rock comes in. So you can basically have a tracking URL. You give your ref referral partner a URL uh, and anytime they share it, you know, they have, you know, if someone signs up on that link, I guess, you know, which referral partner it's come from, right? Yep. Yeah, essentially. I mean, even, even, even outside the digital world, it can be that classic old school one of here's a business card with a code to share, right? So like, I'm not saying it all has to be software because some small businesses are still very much, you know, on foot sure. and person to person and that type of thing. So not all roads lead to the digital version, but of course I would love for that to happen. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, and, and it opens up all kinds of other things. Yes. The tracking, you can see when people click. So from a marketing perspective, you can see how much brand awareness is generated, a nice thing for the person doing the referring is they can see if they can see the referrals get clicked and get checked. And also if there's an incentive, maybe your company is making a donation to a nonprofit, maybe your company is giving them a cash reward and they can see those, but they'll be able to track those things in a portal. It, it becomes a more like, you know, just full circle type of experience. Okay. So you mentioned incentive. So the one version is, you know, I'm glad you got signed up. We're looking for other people like you, please share them this link. If if you think they would be interested in our product. And mm -hmm. maybe I guess you can put whatever you want on that link, some basic product information or sort of an explanation. Great. So then how do you put an incentive into that or should you? With most sort of marketing campaigns, it kind of falls into that light of where you want to think about the people participating, right? So you have, obviously you're one of the parties. There's three parties involved. There's yourself as the business, there's the person doing the referring, and then there's there's the referral or the friend that they're sending the link to. Um, mm -hmm. So obviously kind of taking, it's easy to take yourself out of it because it's of course what you want is the referral. So now how can I make this magic happen? Um, and you have a lot of different levers to pull and you could think about is, is, is something like a cash reward even allowed, right? Because some industries um, are highly regulated and don't allow a cash reward. Sometimes uh, the the benefit is you really want to step back and look, what is it really something that is brand aligned for you? So it doesn't seem like it's weird and awkward, again, <laughs> for you to present this sort of offer. So, you know, for Procurement Express, it may not be cash, but maybe it's like, hey, you know what? We have these t-shirts. 
I saw you wearing this. What is your t-shirt? It's like the, the pie. Pie hole TV. <laughs> pie That's hole my wife's TV. company. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So like maybe it's a fun t-shirt about procurement because, hey, I'm sure CFOs and procurement people, they don't get a lot of love out there. Right. So it's almost like a, you know, procurement people are like, I don't know, like awesome or whatever the, you know, it could be a catchphrase that you guys have. And it could be like, Hey, you know, we love your support. If you want to share it with other procurement people, you know, you get a t-shirt and like some swag and a shout out on the podcast, whatever. It could just be something that gets them excited. Right. And then on the other side of the referral, it could also, they could be getting a discount to their friend. So now you turned asking right. for the referral into an altruistic type of behavior. Right. So the, your customer going out and sending it to a friend is like, oh yeah, we use these guys procurement express. By the way, here's a 10% coupon that your CFO would probably love or an Amazon gift card to get yourself a coffee. Like, you know, it, it could be something like that. So that's where you want to keep it simple, brand aligned, and also aligned with all the parties. So that would be a type of program that, you know, could be pretty effective. Okay. So in our instance, I guess what would work, like we are dealing with finance teams and definitely being sort of auditable, let's put it this way, is very important. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having everything buttoned down and so on. So in our case, maybe something like, hey, here's, you know, if you want to recommend someone, here's it'll be 10% off for them and actually 10% off for you if they sign up. And then sure. it, it's kind of a, the, the company is benefiting. It's very clear, yeah. you know, the reason. And then I guess everyone wins, right? And that's, and that's you know, I, I don't think it's a secret. Like, you know, for most SaaS companies, like as certainly for us, like, you know, 30% of the, the the price we have to charge the customer is just goes on marketing anyway. So right. if I right. can, if I can get them 10 you or You give it to them instead. Yeah, yeah. You could share the love with them instead of with Google. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I know these guys, they're my people. Like, so that's right. much better. Okay. Well, let's, let me, let's, let me ask your opinion on a sort of a, a psyops technique for asking for a referral. So back in the day, I was in part of this referral network called BNI. Business mm -hmm. Networking International. It's sort of a, yep. it's like if you're a lawyer or an accountant or a, a, you know, a website designer or whatever, you go to these early morning breakfast meetings. And I decided as a computer nerd at the time selling text messages, I should go along. And I was like a fish out of water, but it was the best thing I ever did because they they sort of had their own strategy for asking for a referral. And they would say, don't ask for someone, ask for specifically like a person. Like if you want, if you work, let's say with them, um, Let's say you work with charities, right? So say, I'm mm -hmm. looking to, what you do is you say, I'm looking to get to talk to the CFO at UNICEF Ireland. You know, your worry is if you ask for that specific referral, you're kind of ruling out everyone else. But right. they had they had a strategy which was, well, if you ask for UNICEF Ireland CFO and people in the room get a very clear idea of who you're looking for. And they said, they don't know that CFO, but they know the um, CFO at Concern, which is another charity here in Ireland, mm -hmm. they'll do the math and they'll figure out, well, how about this person, you know? And it made it clearer to see who you're interested in talking to. And where do you think the line is between being too specific or being too generic and, and actually to get get people to actually refer you? Um, I mean, I think that could, that could weave into the same strategy we're talking about. And that is a good technique in terms of just when you, if you're just generically asking for referral, it just becomes like, you know, too much cognitive load. Like they're just like, well, what do you mean? I, I don't know. You know, obviously in, in your situation with the 
procurement people would be like, hey, do you know what any other procurement people? <laughs> and that would be specific enough to kind of like narrow it down a little bit. And, and, you know, for enterprise sales, I'm sure it's like, hey, you know, do you have a contact at X media company, you know, for someone that does, you know, you know, some sort of media software or something like that, that they're looking for a, a big specific fish. And then again, it can allude to no, but I do know so-and-so at this other one. So, I mean, I think that that is very effective. And then it, it also depends on when you're getting into, again, the customer and who they could potentially know. Because some of the referral programs do fall flat when a person is in a closed off network. Like they may not know, you know, other people that are like them that could potentially buy. Um, mm-hmm. But when you at least talk about those, then at least it gets them, you know, again, thinking in that direction and imagining what that, you know, type of person looks like. And you could do that digitally as well. Oftentimes it's with, with email, it could be a follow-ups with different offers and those are the prompts. So instead on the email header, it's like, Hey, do you know anyone in such and such industry? We'd love for you to refer someone there, right? Again, getting getting their brain sort of moving already in that direction. What's nice is digitally, you can do that with multiple segments over time um, versus necessarily worrying about, hey, I just have this one one chance, right? So uh, the beauty of it all is, you know, if it's a good, well done referral program that's balanced in incentives, it's, it's, it's not over uh, exposing them to this type of thing because they also just see, they know there's something kind of in it for them as well. It's more an offer versus them having to pay for anything. Like what's what you're offering is that you get something if you just take this action. So you could send more of those than normal marketing and sales emails because you're not asking to pull from their, their wallet. You're just looking hmm. for them to take action to where they're also going to benefit. So that's one of the other areas where a lot of people kind of worry about programs. They're like, ooh, am I... I've been taught in sales and marketing just not to overload people. And that's true, but this one has a little bit more legs than than most sales and marketing asks. Yeah. Well, I can see that because I the advice I've seen when it comes to asking for a referral is the best time is directly after they just signed up. So don't ask yep. for the sale and a referral. Just right. put it in sequence rather than parallel because then you're yep. getting one after another. So bringing it back to our program here, you know, Actually, now that you've given me the idea about the incentives, rather than just ringing up and say, hey, can you refer someone? You can ring them and say, hey, we've got a new program. We get you 10% off your account and mm-hmm. 10% anyone you refer to. And that's why I'm calling you. So it kind of gives it a yep. reason yeah. as well as a, yep. you know? Okay. Definitely. Okay. This is already an improvement. Have you any other suggestions for us on how we could be more effective or, or, or get a referral program going? Um, I mean, I think you're, again, you're asking the right questions and it seems like, you know, after I've talked about these, these sort of resonate and they, they kind of give you other ideas. Um, I mean, the other one is I, I'd probably be shooting myself in the foot, but a lot of these things you can do without software, right? You can do with a spreadsheet and air table or tracking things. So before you invest into some of those things, uh, you know, and since you already got a lot of this free advice, <laughs> so um, it's it's very easy for you to stand this up, especially with your type of business, right? If you get into an e-commerce business that's like high velocity, a lot of transactions, obviously you're you're going to have problems scaling it, and people all of a sudden asking you and saying, "Oh, hey, I sent you that referral. Did they did they did they contact you? Did they sign up?" Because once mm-hmm. people get interested, they're going to sort of start to 
you know, bug you a bit more about it. They're like, hey, did I get my 10%? I don't know. I can't see, right? So those are scaling problems that are good problems to have. But even on the onset of you trying out the incentives, like those can just be like, hey, here's two ideas for the incentive. We can, you know, use your Wednesday calls that are just, you know, going out there and trying some different things, seeing what resonates a bit. So you can do a little bit of testing before you sort of roll it out a little more programmatically. Okay, awesome. Maybe in six months' time, you, me, and Benny, you back get back on a call. We'll see this how we how this impacted things, and we'll see if it uh, made a difference, or we can get some views from the front line, so to speak, and how we can make it even better. So, tell me uh, just a bit more broadly, like what are the types of business which really should consider doing a referral program? Is it better for some markets than others? Where have you seen it really take off? I mean, the ideal sweet spot is if if I was to specify a really ideal one, it's ones that have, you know, many users of the product, right? If it, and it could be a service. Um, so there are kind of more tentacles that can go out, right? Like there's there's more just people volume that can go. So, so if you have like a low volume business, it's hard and and you you're not necessarily getting as many people out there. Um, the other one is the transaction price, right? So if the the cost of the service is on the higher end, so if it's like you have a decent amount of people, it doesn't have to be like, you know, millions, but just like a thousand, you know, something like that. And then you have a price point that is a little bit higher, like not, not just the e-commerce type of thing that where you need, it's sort of a, you know, it's like a, what are those, uh, like a grid of looking at like high volume, uh, mm-hmm you know, high volume, low volume and a price point. So like, obviously this, this quadrant of, of course, high volume and high price point is perfect, but there's all these mid ones that are going to work very well. Obviously the big danger zone is this bottom left, bottom left quadrant of like low volume, low price point. Like that's not really worth the effort and, and, and will be, will be a big challenge. Um, But the big thing I said, the ones where it works the best aside from just the business mechanics is if you're getting word of mouth already, like you're already getting referrals. That means you're doing all those core business activities that make you referable. Cause you call up any one of these customers, no matter what the offer, if the service was sort of crappy and the product was not great, you know, no one really wants to give that experience to a friend. So step zero, have a good product. Is it, or or don't bother. (laughs) Okay. Or decent enough. I mean, there's other tangents of it. It's it's like the product could be okay or par, but maybe the service is excellent, right? So in a certain industry, that might be the differentiator, like local services. If you get a guy that calls and calls you back <laughs> and responds uh, <laughs> when you when you make a request and sends you invoices on time and and all these other things, like that's you can be you know top top 1% uh, in your local area. And that's, you're probably going to get a lion's share of the referrals because the experience was great. Cause if you're, maybe you came in and you had to fix your plumbing mistake twice, like not great, but Hey, if the service was good and they came back and did it without a home, like you're probably still going to get a referral. Very good. Thanks, Josh. Um, so I can't let you go without asking, um, cause you're, we're similar ages in business. That's interesting about 10, 10 years going. And, mm-hmm. um, I wonder what your view is on, you know, there's a, there's a well-trodden discussion around starting a business from a bootstrap perspective or going for VC and raising money, you know, uh, and, and tell us a bit about your story there. 
what did you decide to do and why did you do it that way? Uh, so I've done actually, I've done a bit of both in the past. So before Referral Rock, I did raise a little bit for a different business. And that was interesting because it did get me exposure to the VC world, to pitching, to, you know, I, I raised some angel money and went through an accelerator and those types of things. And that taught me a lot about the structures, the business structures, setting up a C corp, how to think about stock options and shares and all these other things that are sort of like boxed in as the way to do things. And not, a lot of it's not untrue. It's actually really helpful because when I did start Referral Rock, I used a combination of the things. Like we set up employee stock options. We did all these things from a C-Corp perspective, all these like incorporation and all those other things. Like I learned about, I learned about, you know, how to do partner shares and different stuff like that, that oftentimes could, you know, as you and I both know, kill a lot of startups as well. Um, you know, no matter what, if they're bootstrapped or, or raise money. Um, but I do believe there's a, there's there's too much of a narrative out there for most tech people that all they see is the tech crunch headlines all they see is that stuff so they almost think that there's only really that way um mm. and then ones i even talk to it's funny as i feel like you know saying indie hacker or you know uh, a bootstrapper or all these types of things like it's it's still not as widely known as as any one VC. It's like, oh, you're a tech company. Oh, did you raise money? And it just becomes this, you know, this like knee-jerk default reaction, which there's all these other different ways. So um, I don't know. That's kind of the short of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm interested uh, about what you said there about the share employee share option scheme or what we would call an ESOP here. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's not a typical thing for a bootstrap company to to start with. Has it been, are you glad you did it? Let me put it that way. Because an ESOP for a traditional VC is, hey, listen, you work your ass off for five years, we IPO, and we all go home rich. That's kind of the narrative right. they all sell. Right. So how does that play out for um, a bootstrap company? Well, what's the incentive in having an ESOP? And, and has it been a good or a bad thing? Uh, I think it's been a good thing. Um, there's a part of sharing the wins that um, appeals to me, and and also a part of like you know, I obviously I own you know still the the lion share, but I was able to bring on some key people where that was important, but it wasn't the only thing. So it's sort of like they're also people that have a long term view and are in this with me, hmm. and you know are arguably very challenging to replace. Right, like I've got a a great tech lead. I've got a, a person that joined me, I think about two years into my journey. Um, it was already making revenue. I already could pay people. So the, it was de-risked for a lot of them. Um, but they could come in and say, I'm I'm taking a far less market salary. I'm willing to you know, go along on this with you and share the vision. But also, hey, if this does do really well, like I can get you know a piece of that. Um, and I feel like with me setting a lot of this stuff up, it was easier to see to carve out what that would look like, right? Like I didn't, I don't take all the advice from the VCs. Like there's like, hey, have a 20% stock option pool to do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, okay, I could start that, but do I need to distribute it all? Or how should I distribute it? Or over time, how should I think about different key roles and, and what would be good for them? Um, the more interesting thing in this model now is it's not boomer bust anymore, um, especially 
maybe it is a little more now with with valuations down and that type of thing. But you know, there are private equity companies that buy partial parts of companies. So there are ways to give an exit to some people that have been there for a long time. And I think of this very long term. Everyone always asks, okay, so what's your goal? When are you going to sell? And I'm like, I don't know. And that's not why I really created it. Like we're we're rolling. We have a big vision. We kind of can keep rolling towards uh, from a long-term perspective. And at some point, some people may get tired and it's like, hey, how can I reward people along the way? Maybe a private equity company, I will actually take a call or an email, which I don't now, <laughs> might be saying, hey, you know what? I'll sell off some shares, uh, allow some people to have some liquidity and they want to go off on a different journey. You know, that could be okay. Yeah, that's interesting because I've been listening to on personal finance front, Dave Ramsey, he's a big YouTuber. And his whole thing is finance is 90% psychological, 10% math or whatever. And as someone who came up in the tech industry, I was always a little bit cynical of of share ownership plans. Cause you know, in, in a lot of startups, you join it, you work, they come to nothing. You know, I had a lot of, I had a dollar for every recruiter was telling me about all the amazing share options I get. If I went and worked for Sun Microsystems or whoever, I'd be like, I'd have $3 probably, but you get the point. But now actually there's that psychological element of you know, a piece of ownership makes a difference. And I, I, we in our company, we have a couple of people who have shares, our share options at least. And I think you can actually tell the difference. And um, you know, I, I, I definitely think of like, I don't mind talking about Deepak. Deepak's our head of engineering. And you now he said to me at a stage, yeah, you know what? I was... I was just working here. It was a gig. And then when you gave me this and we, you know, he became head of engineering, that really changed things for him. And mm-hmm. I, I don't want to look at it as a type of manipulation. It's not, but it is nice. Like I enjoy the fact we're on the same team and, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a trust token, if you like, if you're right. willing to give someone part of your baby like this or or sharing that way, it maybe the value isn't in the dollars and cents. Maybe it's in the, the culture. Right. No, there's. I I agree. I think there's a lot of merit to that, and and there's definitely, and, and I again not going from the VC narrative of hey every person gets X percent. Like I do hold it closer to the chest. It's not something that everyone gets. Um, it's something that is earned over time, or or it's also you know even for people that are interested that may join the company now. It's like okay, that's on the table for discussion, but let's see where we are at a certain point. So um, certain people I think are interested in that and they are willing to kind of like, you know, they're very protective of their time and their mental capacity. And, but once that, I think that that switch can happen to where they start approaching it more like an owner or start thinking about the decisions you're making and how it, how it affects everyone holistically or understanding more that, you know, maybe some, you know, how, how some employees are affecting the culture in different ways. And it helps them think about not not th- thinking about it holistically as company versus just like, oh, does that mean like this axe could hit me at any point in time? You know, that type of thing. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, you put four years into a company for for different reasons, you move on, but you put a lot of blood, blood sweat, and tears into that. There's always the balance between you get paid for risk. Like, is there risk involved? I guess that's the real difference. If you took a risk, if you weren't taking, and I guess some people forfeit a higher salary, a perceived higher salary for for working somewhere else, but it's not quite the same as being as a founder level, like no right. salary for the first year or whatever right. it takes. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
All right, Josh. Uh, so I know we barely scratched the surface of a successful referral program today. You gave us some tips, but I do know you have some great resources to share. So how can people learn more about this or reach out to you if they want to start their first referral program? Yeah. I mean, head on over to our website, referralrock.com. Um, we have a great blog as well uh, that has tons of resources on designing incentives, how to promote your programs, how to think about this stuff in different different frameworks and structures. Um, in addition to that, like we try to package it all up. Our team, we have a great onboarding team. So every plan you do subscribe to uh, does come with you know, personalized onboarding and a person that knows all these things aside from just me and how to structure these and learn from patterns and practices. I know you asked a lot of questions on what types of businesses are successful. And I I didn't purposely dodge those. They're just really more about like uh the mechanics than versus the the you know X industry or Y industry type of thing. Cause I think we all know there's like that one's the gambit. And if you say any one of those that gives good word of mouth, that's really that that through line, so to speak. But those are the things we write about. Those are the things we talk about and uh, just helping more businesses get more compound interest on the activities they're getting, kind of where we started. I love it. Well, thanks very much for being a guest today. It was very interesting. I know it was very actionable for me and I hope the, I'm sure the listeners or some of the listeners got, if you're a business nerd like me, listening to this right now, you also got value out of it. So thanks for coming, Josh. All right. Thanks for having me, James. 